Let's open our Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 21 down through verse 26. Before we read verse 21, let me just go back and read verse 20. Our Lord said, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he begins even with this, what we'll be looking at today, and he sets that forth. He said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. It was the sixth commandment. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hast ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Let us pray. Father, meet with us this morning. Open up your word to our hearts and our understandings. Give us spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. Reveal yourself to us from your word. Grant us a word of utterance. We beg this in your name. Amen. Here in our text in this Sermon on the Mount, our Lord is describing what true righteousness is. The, he said, you've heard that it was said by them of old time. That's, I don't think that's just referring, it does refer to in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave, but I think it also has reference to what the Pharisees said that it says. You've heard that it was said by them. What do you think they said? Well, Thou shalt not kill. That's what it said. And if you do, you're in danger of the judgment. A man killed a man. He, if you shed the man's blood, by man's blood should his blood be shed. That's what the law said. But they had even added to it. Not, now, you need to remember, not everybody had a Bible like you have. Not everybody knew the Scriptures like you did. They, what they knew was what they had heard. What they knew is what someone had said. You've heard. He knew what they heard. 
He knew what they were doing. He knew exactly, and he came to expose this. Because, see, they thought, as most men today think, that the law is nothing more than a, than a, a motto and a rule of conduct. If you don't kill, most of us, we've probably, and I hope we never do, come to some point where even in self-defense we had to kill a man. That would be awful. Well, what does this mean? That's what they thought. Well, I've, ne- I've, ne- I've never murdered, and I never would murder. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be danger in the judgment. But now he's going to say, he's going to say, you know what? He's the fulfillment of the law. He, you, know who, you know how many kept the law? None, except one, and that's Christ. You remember when Moses comes down off the mountain with the tables of stone written on both sides, written by the finger of God, and they were they the as soon as he came down, they broke the first commandment: "Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve." And they made him a golden calf. Moses is so angry and so mad. If he could have, he'd have killed them, but he threw the stones down and broke them. So that's how we do. We broke them. Well, who's going to keep the law? It's going to be kept in one place. He said, "You make another set of tablets, and we're going to take the I mean, the the law, and we're going to put it in the ark. The ark doesn't have the broken law; it has the kept law, and he's the only one that could keep it. What he says here in these verses, what we're going to look at today, there's none of us can measure up to. We're talking about perfection. Now, we're not just only talking about perfection in actions. We're talking about perfection in thought. You notice he didn't say, but I say unto you, whosoever kills. He didn't say kills. He said whosoever is angry with his brother. How do you think, why, where do you think, what do you think anger leads to? What is anger? We know we... We know probably probably most of us know what it is to be angry. We don't like it, but we know what it is to be angry. We know what it is to be angry at someone and how we felt toward that someone. And most of the time we're angry at them because they have probably, we thought, offended us. So it's it's a selfish thing. He says, but whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Christ said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And by fulfilling it, he magnified it and he honored it. See, men have a, a misconception of the law. What is the purpose of the law? It only condemns. It can never give life. We are all, by nature, soul murderers. That's who we are by nature. In the, the Jews in our Lord's day and religious people of our day, they think that the law is nothing more than a standard of moral conduct. 
a rule of life. What do you rule your life by, Will? People say, well, if I believe that gospel you preach, it would make me just want to live any way I want to. Well, it does. A believer, if they could, they would live in such a way to never bring dishonor to God's name. If they could do what they really wanted to do, they would never sin again. It's not that they're trying to get by, see how much sin they can get by with, but that's what the law, that's how the religion looks at it because they don't understand the law. They actually think they keep the law. Our Lord told the rich young ruler who came to him that day, and he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, what does the law say? He knew the law in his head. He said, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not covet. That's what our Lord said. He gave him the second table of the law, not even the first table. You know what he said? All those have I kept from my youth up. I've always kept those. And the Lord said, if you want to be perfect, if you, if you want to do something to earn eternal life, go sell what you've got and give unto the poor. And he went a great grieve because he was very rich. You know what the Lord did? He put his finger on his God. He thought he, thought he was good until he found out he wasn't good. He said, if you, you want to try to be good, okay, you go do this. And he said, oh, no, can't do that. Couldn't do that. Because he, he couldn't do that. Just because we can't keep the law doesn't take anything away from the law. It's still the law. It still has to be honored. Just because we can't keep it doesn't say, well, it doesn't exist. It doesn't apply to me. It applies to all of us. <clears throat> God's law, here's what God's law requires. Perfection in heart. I'm going to show you out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. He talks about here about having, an, having a cause of, against your brother, a wrong thought. Wrong feelings. It requires perfection in thought, in mind, as well as outward perfection. The scribes and Pharisees told the people of their day, and false preachers do the same today, they only deal with outward acts of sin. If you've not done that, well, you must be pretty good. I, I can check that off. I've not done that, and I've not done this one. I've not done that one. You've heard what they said, and they're still saying it. They still tell people this is what it says, and they're also saying this is what it means. But Christ said, but I say unto you, this is what it means. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. You know the first murder upon this earth? The first blood that was shed was one brother, was angry with another brother, and he killed his brother. Cain killed Abel. Why? And it was over this very principle right here that we're talking about. 
they it would come a day, or they, these could have been grown men, when they come and brought a sacrifice to God. They're coming to worship God. You can't worship without a sacrifice, and you can't worship without an altar. And most old writers believe where they would come to God was at the Garden of Eden where the, where the, where the sword was turned this way and that way. That's where they would come to worship God. Cain brings the best fruits he's got. If they were apples or oranges or tomatoes or whatever, oh, they were pristine, didn't have a spot on them, and he'd probably shined them up, worked real hard, you know. He'd put a lot of sweat and time in growing those vegetables. But those vegetables came from a ground that had been cursed. And God didn't receive Cain's sacrifice. Why not? Cain says, the best I can do. God will surely accept. Won't God accept the best I can do? Isn't that what men think? Will God not accept the best I can do? No, he won't. Because it's not good enough. Well, what did his brother bring? His brother was a keeper of sheep. He brings a lamb, cut his throat, substitute, and brought blood as a sacrifice. And God received it because his sacrifice looked to Christ. Cain was looking to himself. And it said that them two boys talked. I can see Cain say, why, why, did, I, why did God receive yours and not mine? Mine's just as good. That ain't fair. That's just not right. And he rose up and killed it. You know why he killed his brother? He couldn't get to God. Killed him. Killed him. It says in 1 John 3, 12, here's what it says. Here's why he said, don't be as Cain who was of that wicked one. Of that wicked one, yes. And slew his brother. And why did he slew or kill his brother? Because his own works were evil. And his brothers were righteous. How are we received? On someone's righteousness. We don't have one, and we can't produce one. And you never could produce one by keeping the law. But someone has to be perfect. Someone has to be perfect. As I said, anger is something that begins in the heart. In Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart... I never noticed this till yesterday. Out of the heart proceed. Now, this is from the heart. That, that's who we are. We're born with a wicked, defiled heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. And you know the first evil thought that he lists here by the Holy Spirit? Murders. Adulteries, fornications, theft, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Murders. Here he says, if your brother, whosoever was angry with his brother. Well, who is the brother? It could have reference to my brother in Christ. Or it could have reference to anyone that is my brother in Adam. The brother can also have reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. By nature, we are angry with him. 
Like I said, why did Cain kill Abel? Because basically when he got down to it, he was angry with God that God did not receive what he brought. You want to make men mad? You tell them God will not receive the best they can bring. And they say, oh, that ain't right. God owes everybody a chance. That ain't fair. Fair has nothing to do with it. It's righteousness. We took him. We took the Son of God. And by wicked hands have crucified him and slayed him. You know why? He made us uncomfortable. He exposed our wickedness. He did. Everywhere he went. He did did things deliberately on the Sabbath day to expose those self-righteous people. One man, he healed him. Uh, his hand was withered on the Sabbath day. And they were looking at him. And our Lord looked right, looked him right square in the face. He said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? Or is it lawful to do evil on the Sabbath day? And I think it said he looked at them and he was angry because of the hardness of their heart. And you know what he said? He told that man to do what he could not do. That man could not move his arm. I see it just kind of just withered, maybe just drawn up. You know what he said? Stretch it forth. Well, he can't stretch it forth. I know he can't. But with the command come the ability, and what he did, he went. And that's how God does when he gives you life. He says, live. And that man's, they say, oh, you, you can come on any other day, but don't you come on the Sabbath day to be healed. Our Lord looked at him and says, if your sheep falls in the ditch on the Sabbath day, you're going to leave it laying there till the next day. He exposed them, and they didn't like it. They didn't like it. Look what we say. I say unto you, verse 22, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother. You know, amazing how the angry usually is expressed by our mouths. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're angry with our brother and we're going to say something. We're going we're gonna to say something because we think we have something to say. <laughs> something to be heard. We, we like, we, don't we love the vent? <laughs> we just want somebody to listen to us, what we have to say, what we have to say. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say to his brother, thou fool, shall be in danger of the judgment. You know, I'd say one of the most prone ways we kill people, by saying something. We would love to. We, you can kill somebody's reputation with a word. The tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We want to tear down their character by something we say. By something we say. These terms may be used in a mild term and for a good end. When we seek to convince others of their vanity and folly, James says, O vain man, 
Christ our Lord said to those on the road to Emmaus, Oh, fools and slow of heart. And it was not the same word he's using here, but sometimes it was used in a good way. But when it proceeded from anger and, and malice, it is sin. Rekha, what does this mean? Most everyone I read from had difficulty trying to explain it, so don't expect me to be able to do it any better. But Rekha, it, it is a scornful word. It comes from pride. It means thou empty fellow. It denotes a worthless, empty-headed man, a man of no brains, a foolish fellow. That's, that's pretty low. <laughs> I mean, you just, you're just a foolish thing. You're just, you just foolish Solomon said this, proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. This is someone who tramples upon his own brother. Then he says, that's Rekha, that's the scornful. Thou fool is a spiteful word. It comes from hatred looking upon someone not only as mean and not to be honored, but as vile and not even to be loved. Basically, it says, this is pretty stern, thou wicked man, thou reprobate. It's like a man thinks he has the ability to see another man's heart. We don't, we don't know who's wheat and we don't know who the tear are. I think we're very guilty at times. Maybe a brother falls. You know what we would be guilty of saying? Well, I don't know if they was a believer to start with. You know what? We just don't know. The Lord does. The word reka speaks of a man without sense. The word fool in scriptural language speaks of a man without grace. The more the reproach touches his spiritual condition, the worse it is. The word reka is a haughty taunting of our brother. The word fool is a malicious censoring and condemning of him as abandoned of God, that would be a reprobate, someone that was totally abandoned of God. So one is scornful and one is spiteful. We know what it is. We know what spiteful is. They just, what do they do? It's just spiteful. Just want to do it out of spite. They want to they make you, they want to make you suffer. They want, they're going to do it on purpose. The word fool is found many times in the scriptures, but the exact word that is here translated fool is a word which we from a word from which we get our word moron. And is only used in one other place in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3:18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, 
Let him become a fool that he may be wise. In that passage in 1 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit is telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only foundation God has laid, laid the foundation upon which we built. He's the altar. The word fool, both in Matthew 5.22 and in 1 Corinthians, mean more than, than commonly means more than just a moron, stupid, ignorant, and senseless. The word means godless. Godless. If we would be spiritually wise, we must take our place before God as fools, godless sinners in danger of hellfire without Christ. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become as a fool that he may be wise. That's wisdom for a man to see who he really is. That we are nothing more than a senseless, godless person and every one of us ought to go to hell. I preached today or meant to air it on the radio today. It didn't play. Refuges of lies. It says they've made a covenant with death and in hell they're not a they're in agreement. They're in agreement with hell. They know there's a hell. They know people ought to go to hell, but they're just not going to hell. And I ask the question, do you think you ought to go to hell? Now that's something to think about. They thought, oh, oh, not me. If we ever see who we are. And who we have offended. Whom we have offended. Now verses 23 and 24. Remember in the context, because therefore refers back to verses 21 and 22. If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother has dawned against thee. Well, who is the brother? This the brother referring back to verse 22. If you shall say to your brother, if they bring you gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother has dawned against thee. He's coming to worship. He's coming to an altar. We can't worship without the altar. You bring your gift. You bring your sacrifice. You bring your praise and thanksgiving. And you remember, you remember that your brother has all against you. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. There's only one altar, and without that altar, there's no reconciliation. If you bring your gift, and you remember, don't expect it to be received till you've been reconciled. All who are one with Christ, we are one with one another. We come in adoration, love, and worship, and we come to him with all our brother. Here's what Mr. Hawker said. 
His members come to him as the head and bring with us by faith the whole body in our arms to the Lord. Our Lord said that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that thou also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And we know this can apply to our brothers in Christ. If we have all against them, we should do everything that we can to try to reconcile it, to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I've offended you. I'm sorry. Be reconciled. I've sinned. I said something I shouldn't have said. I think about John, Mark, and Paul and Barnabas. They had such a division. They, John, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, who was his nephew, on a missionary trip with him. And Paul said, I don't think so. He left us the last time we went. We're not taking him. And Paul took, some, took Silas with him, and Barnabas took John Mark. And the contention, contention was so sharp, but you know later on they made up. Then Paul, when he's getting ready to die, he said, bring John Mark. He's profitable unto me. You know, we can all have disagreements. But you know something, when people just won't forgive and won't reconcile. And you, you may try to beat people over the head. It, it never works. It must come from a heart of love and grace. But this has something, I think, of a greater meaning. We need to be reconciled with the brother that we have offended. You know who we've offended? Our Lord. Christ is the one he's offended. He's the one that we've been angry with without a cause. Why would we be angry at him? The Bible says we were his enemies. You know what unbelief is? It is despising the Son of God and saying unto him, Reka, thou fool. Those religious people talked to our Lord like he was a dog, didn't they? We be not born of fornication. More than likely they said you probably were. You're, you're just a Samaritan. You'd, when you do miracles, you do them of the devil. That's how you do them. Why would, they, why would they say that about him? That's how they felt. Why did we all say, crucify him, crucify him? We want a murderer. That's who we want. Why would we say that? Because that's what we wanted. You see this, it talks about coming to the altar. How can we come to God? You, how can we come to God? You can't approach God till you're reconciled with God. There has to be a reconciliation. Why do you have to be reconciled? We're, we're enmity between each other. We're, we're at enemies. He's holy and righteous. And we're nothing but sin. Well, how can we be reconciled? How can I be reconciled with my brother? Upon the merits of Christ, God accepts us, and he accepts our gifts. You think, 
when we, whether we try to stand and sing or we try to pray or we try to, to preach, we, we bring our gifts of thanksgiving, Lord, and we say, thank you, Lord, for showing us mercy. You know, and that's so filled with sin. That's so filled with pride. Well, how can God, re- how can God receive that? Because Christ died. Because of his merits. Now we are reconciled to God. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. A holy spirit, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. If you bring a gift to the altar and you remember, thank goodness you remember that your brother has all against you. I want you to see this, the offended brother, the one that we've offended, is the very one and the only one that can make reconciliation. You can't make reconciliation. Nothing you do can make reconciliation. Nothing you even think can make reconciliation. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. What do you think that they were told? You, were, you heard that it was said by them of old time. wonder what, how they told those people you could be reconciled. wonder how, what they told them. Well, you well, look at people today. Where do you think the Catholic Church got all those ideas about how you're to be reconciled to God? In, unless you know, unless you forgot, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Tuesday was Fat Tuesday. The reason they call it Fat Tuesday because you're going to eat and glutton yourself and do everything you can because then you're going to do Ash Wednesday and you, for 40 days you're going to give up something and you're going to reconcile, be reconciled to God. So you may give up your TV or your radio and God forbid you give up your phone. Really? I mean, we laugh, but that's really not funny. They think that that's how they can be reconciled to God. Put ashes, and I saw a lady on TV. She had a, a shape of a cross right there on her forehead, you know. Wants everybody to see it. Who hath reconciled us to himself. God did. How did he do it? By Jesus Christ. Now, that's pretty plain. You know what? That's what the Lord said. How do we be reconciled? I just told you what he said. It's not coming to the front of a church. It's not making some profession. It's not, it's not praying, reading your Bible. It's not all those things. No matter what you do, you cannot undo what you've done. We've offended him. How can we be reconciled? When Christ died, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. To wit, and God has given to us And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, how how were we reconciled? To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, 
not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Our sins were imputed unto Christ. That's how we're reconciled. That's how we, he can have anything to do with us. First be reconciled with thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. You're reconciled to your brother. Just keep your gift. Where is it, Jeff? Where the Lord talks about they bring in all their gifts, and he said, I'm weary with them. He said, basically, all you do is, he said, I'm tired of them. Just keep them. David said, if there was a gift that I could bring, I would bring it. But the sacrifice of God is a broken and a contite spirit, and God will not despise it. But we think we got to, our minds are so messed up. We still think it's something we do. But what does he say? Our sins were imputed unto him. And it's all right. You know what? I'm going to tell you this morning, he's not offended at me. We're reconciled. A lot of times I don't feel like it. Most of the time, you know what? Most of the time, I feel real foolish. That's about right. I feel real godless. And sometimes I feel like Paul. He said, lest when I preach to others, I become a castaway. I bring my body under subjection. Lest when I preach to others, I become a castaway. You know what the word castaway is? A reprobate. He said, lest I prove in the end that I am a reprobate and rejected of God. Verses 25 and 26. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. That means the debt has to be paid. To the uttermost farthing. Someone has to pay it. Well, who is it? who is our adversary? First be reconciled to your brother, then agree with thine adversary quickly. This has reference to the one the same person who is our brother. And our adversary, this speaks of the same person. Listen. Now, these words simply cannot be applied to a mere earthly adversary. Try as we may, there is no way in the world that we can agree with our adversary or get the adversary to agree with us as much as you can, live peaceably with all men. But it's just not going to happen. But listen, we're brothers and brothers are friends. Brothers are not adversaries. Me and Jeff are brothers. We're not adversaries. We're brothers. We're part of the same family. We've been, we've been reconciled to God by the death of his son. He's put away our sins. Our Lord is telling us how we can and must, as ignorant, godless sinners in danger of hellfire, come to his throne of grace for mercy. Mercy. 
Like I said, we're to try to live peaceably with all. He said as much as you can live peaceably with all men. There's some people you just can't live peaceably with. I can get along better with someone that never, never's been to church, never darkened the doors, than somebody that claims to be religious. I'm just telling you, I can. I can't. That's just how it is. I'm just. It just can't. You do all you can, and sometimes the best is just not is just to avoid them. Our adversary is not is not always one who is intent upon hurting or ruining us. Our Lord declares in Exodus thirty two twenty two, "I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries." There comes a day and a time in the life of every believer, loved and chosen of God, when our eye is dimmed by reason of sin and sorrow. In that day when we are convinced of our sin, and that's it. I can't convince you of sin, but my brother can. (laughs) And until you see your sin... You won't need your you won't never see your need of reconciliation. And you will think you can reconcile what you've done by your deeds of the law. And by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. We see our Lord stand as an adversary with his bow bent like an enemy who pours out his fury like fire. In that hour, we are forced by God's grace to cry out from the depths of our soul for an advocate with God. A sinner is a precious thing. The Holy Spirit hath made him so. What did he say? When you're in the way with your adversary, what does it say? Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way. First, be reconciled to that woman. Agree with thine adversary quickly, verse 25, while thou art in the way with him. God be merciful to me, the sinner, while thou art in the way. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. While thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer. And now be cast into prison and forced to admit that it is by grace. And here's what he says. Those that won't bow, those that won't bow in reverence, looking to him, say, well, I'll just go on doing it my own way. I'm not going to agree with him. Well, if you don't agree with him, you disagree. Well, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? God just going to look over your sin? God just going to sweep it on the rug and pretend it never happened? No, that ain't what he said. He's showing you the strictness of God's holy law and why we need to be reconciled. 
there is coming a day when they will be delivered unto the judge, and he's the judge. All men have been committed into his hands, and unto the officer now shall be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence. He's not coming out till he's paid the uttermost farthing. What is that saying? What's going to be happened to those people who are found guilty before God, who are his adversary? What are the, what's going to happen to those people? They're going to be cast into a leg of fire in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you know why hell is eternal? They never stop sinning. And you've, you never pay the uttermost farthing. That's why. Well, why did God set us free? Why are we reconciled to God? How can we come to God? Because we have been reconciled. Christ has paid the, the, the last fathering. He has paid the sins of all his people. And that's why he delivers us from going down into the pit. And he says, I have found ransom. And we come to God how? We come to him every day. And we say, Lord, I've sinned. You come and you bring your gift and you bring your sacrifice, praise, and most time you don't even know what to say. Most time you don't feel anything. And you remember, Lord, I've sinned. And Lord, there's many sins I'm not even aware of. And we're like David, Lord, created me a clean heart. Forgive me of my sin. And we just have to about put our hand over our mouth. And he just speaks and says, I've always loved you. I bore your trespasses. I put them away. And he's my brother. He's not my enemy. Can you imagine how sorrowful that will be? When men stand before the Lord in Matthew, we'll see it when we get through with this sermon over in chapter 7 where it says, many will stand before me in that day and they say, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not preached in your name? He didn't say you hadn't done those things. And he said, they also say we've done many wonderful things, many wonderful works. They still bragging on their works. You know what our Lord says? You depart from me. I never knew you. And you cast them into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you ever seen that, if you felt life, just like deliver him from going down into the pit, I found a ransom that you, if you really got what you deserved and God showed you mercy, you'd be thankful for mercy. I'm glad this morning it's not by loss. It's by grace. Has that been a help? I hope it is.